0: Listener Production. As parents, we put a lot of thought and energy into raising our kids. But what about
1: us? How do we raise ourselves as parents? Becoming a parent shifts us out of being just ourselves in the world. And we are pushed into a role where we're now thinking about another being that is depending on us for life, which is a fairly heavy responsibility. And so that comes with a whole heap of changes, which requires the change in our perspective on the world and how we actually see everything that we do. Today on Feed,
0: Play, Love, we kick off a 12-week series exploring what it means to be a parent. The choices we make, the ways we cope, and how we can turn old patterns into new actions.
1: Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt and Rebecca Ray.
0: Every week for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be turning the spotlight on you. The parent, the carer, the adult raising a small human. This is Parenting the Parent with Dr Rebecca Ray, where we start from the beginning. Think of this as Parenting 101, where we explore the impact of starting a family, challenging the methods we learnt from our parents, and how we can be more compassionate to ourselves when we stuff up. To guide us through these questions, we're joined by one of my favourite people, Dr Rebecca Ray.
1: Beck, welcome. Thank you, Chef. It's such a pleasure to be back on the podcast.
0: It's always lovely to have you. Beck is a clinical psychologist, author of several books, and mum to one cheeky little boy. So not only has she been where we're going, she has the expertise to help us understand why we parent the way we do, and to offer practical ways forward if we want to do better. Let's face it, there's always room for improvement. So where do we start? Well, let's start at the beginning. Beck. What happens when we first become a parent?
1: So much happens, which is why we're sitting here doing this series. I I think it's really important that we just start straight off by saying that you and I are not perfect parents.
0: Oh, God, no. And
1: you certainly don't need to be a perfect parent to be able to be an effective parent for your little one. So much happens in this transition from... Um, unparenting. Is that a word? <laughs> Let's use it. Unparenting to being in the role as a parent that we're looking at a change across our entire, um, every area of our life in terms of our functioning. So there's changes in our emotional functioning, there's changes in our cognitive functioning, the way we think and our perspective on the world. And there's change it changes in our physical functioning as well, especially if you're a mum and you've given birth to your baby. All of those changes actually happen in a way where you go from being just one person needing to deal with your own needs on a daily basis to having a small being that's now reliant on you for life.
0: (laughs) No pressure. That is so huge. And even as I hear you say it, I think back to when I became a mum, I knew it would be a big change, but I didn't. I didn't give it the credit it deserved. I kind of went, oh, well, this is the next step. And so I had this expectation that it'd be a big change, but somehow, unlike other changes in my life, I would just move naturally through it. I mean, where does parenting, where does becoming a parent fit on the spectrum Mm. of transitions in life?
1: From the time when we're very young, we are essentially conditioned to believe that certain things in life should happen should happen at certain times if you're normal. Now, for <laughs> listeners that are listening right now, I'm putting normal in air quotes because there is no such thing as normal. But those things like, you know, falling in love, getting your first job, getting a period, all that kind of stuff, that's just happening to you. It's not bringing in a being that you then need to be responsible for. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember being a baby. So I don't remember what I needed as a baby. Like we don't, we don't <laughs> yes. come with this kind of cognitive reckoning that allows us to be able to take what we learned as babies ourselves and then apply it. And I think this is the really difficult thing about parenting is we are usually parenting children that are generations away from us. And we're having to bring ourselves into understanding that we're now responsible for this little person, learn them while they're learning us, and then learn how to actually meet a baby's needs and raise them through their own transitions.
0: I guess I'm saying there what my biggest challenge was in transitioning is that transitioning to be a parent was yep. that I didn't know it was a big transition. I, mm. I kind of knew, but I didn't really know. I it didn't sounds like it. you
1: knew on a cognitive level, but you didn't know it on em- an emotional level. No,
0: definitely. That's exactly what I feel was my challenge because then I went into parenthood with these expectations that I would continue on uh, as I was without changing myself. Mm. And so that was one of my big challenges. So then I spent those early years of parenthood sort of being very self-critical, thinking that I was making all the mistakes. It took me quite a while to find my own natural way of parenting that made sense to me. Yeah. What would you say are some of the other challenges that people might face or experience as they
1: become a parent? I think expectations is a huge one. If we're looking at cognitive challenges... One of the things that can shape your experience as a new parent is what you expected that experience to be like. And if you expected it to be smooth and you expected it to, expected yourself to know what you were doing and just automatically there was, you would go home with this little baby kind of handed to you and not knock that baby's head on the top of the car when you get like I did, (laughs) knocked Bennett's head getting into the car, driving home. Um, and that was kind of the first sign of, yeah, we really don't know <laughs> what we're doing. But when you've got those expectations, it those expectations actually come from a sense of needing control. And for our control freaks listening, Chev and I are both control freaks, so I'm not saying this to judge you or label you. <laughs> I'm saying this to join you. Um, what that sense of uh, control does or where it comes from is if I expect it to... Work out like this, then I can reduce my anxiety because anxiety usually comes from uh, fearing what is about to happen or anticipating that you can't know what is about to happen. And in parenthood, that is essentially our journey. We cannot know how our pregnancy is going to turn out like, what our birth is going to be like, um, how this little person is going to grow, and what they're going to be like, what they're going to offer the world, what they're going to offer you as a parent. Um, And so we're in a place where we place expectations on that experience in order to be able to reduce our own anxiety. It feels good at the time until you transition into that space and the expectations don't match up to what you're seeing. And then that becomes very destabilizing. Now, on top of that, we also have challenges that are physical. There's always a physical transition And that happens for quite a long time after you have the baby. It's not just birth and recovery from birth. We have those hormonal changes that happen in our bodies and they take around 12 months to settle and they go even longer if you breastfeed beyond 12 months. I
0: had no idea about that. Mm -hmm. I thought that the hormones just were in your body for like that, you know, what's that three-day baby blues that people get? No, it, knowing it's that would make so three. much difference. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the hormones actually go for a really long time. And there are changes in the brain that occur as well that the research says actually never go back to what they we were. <laughs> so those brain changes actually help us bond with the baby, it means the right side of our brain becomes more dominant, especially during that baby time. We become more aware of being alert to baby cues and responding in ways that help us bond with the baby. Um, Then there's the uh, emotional changes, of course, that come with floods of hormones, but also come with, oh my goodness, here's a little baby that is with me 24 hours a day, um, especially at the beginning. And this baby doesn't really seem to know what to do and I don't know what to do with it. So I don't know how to stop it crying. I don't know how to stop him from Um, getting unsettled. Bennett had reflux. And so we were in a position where it took a long time to work out what would work to be able to make him less unsettled or distressed with the pain. And then what happens is when you've got all that and you're learning a baby and the baby's learning you, on top of that, if you're doing the parenthood journey with a partner (laughs) That adds a whole nother ball game. Yeah, absolutely. Fun and games. Fun and games because now you've got a triangle rather than just the two of you side by side. And as you're both learning the baby, you'll often learn differently, especially if one of you is doing primary amounts of parenting, um, which is the case if you're a mum and you're breastfeeding. When you're in that place, what happens is the dynamic between the two of you changes because you as the mother become very focused on meeting this baby's needs, especially if you're the one that can because you're breastfeeding and your partner can often feel like they're a little bit superfluous to the whole situation and they want to be helpful but they don't necessarily know how. And if you're flooded with hormones, it doesn't necessarily mean you're the greatest at being able to voice that (laughs) in a way that is (laughs) conflict-free.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just thrown back to that period where... Gosh, we used to fight about the most silly things Um, when, you know, we'd take my firstborn was a girl, so we'd take her out to, for a stroll or something. The the things we'd argue about in terms of getting her into that pram, like, I think now, what what were we fighting about? But it was literally, neither of us knew what we were doing, but we were both terrified we were going to do something to hurt her. And so, or let's face it, terrified we were going to wake her up. Your relationship, as you just mentioned, has done a complete kind of evolution, if you like. Mm-hmm. We you, you were knowing that you're bringing another person, but you probably thought we're creating something, we're growing something, rather than we're bringing it in. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, then, if you're absolutely. in a partnership and you're bringing someone in, naturally that partnership is going to have to change. Yeah, um, and I—it's not like getting a pet. Well, (laughs) there's a pet in
1: in the environment, but not necessarily needing pieces of each of you so much so that you can become disconnected from each other.
0: Mm. And also that piece where you were talking about the hormonal um, changes that women go through. And I feel like it's somewhere in a brochure that men might look at or other partners might look at, non-birthing partners might look at while you're getting a scan and they might read one line saying, this is what your partner's going to go through once you come home. But then it's probably goes off into the ether when in fact, that part of the equation, how your partner changes physically mm. is going to have a huge impact on your relationship yeah. physically and, and not just with your body, but also your hormones. Yeah.
1: Yep and they it can get to the point where you don't feel like you recognize each other because the person who's meeting the baby's needs especially if you're breastfeeding is in a place where at least this is the way I felt I felt like everything was being sapped from me for this baby I had nothing left over and it's not like I resented the baby um something I actually really worried about was having a traumatic physic um pregnancy physically and then I wouldn't bond with Bennett. And thank goodness that didn't happen. I was bonded with him straight away. I, I loved him straight away and I was worried that wouldn't happen. So I, I didn't resent meeting his needs, but I resented Nissa for not reading my mind. So <laughs> I was like, I, I I don't even have the energy to explain what I need you to do. Just do it, you know? And that's yeah. really not helpful because the other person is not flooded with hormones. So they're relating to the environment often from a practical point of view. What can I do to help you? Um, And they're learning too. They're learning the baby too. They're learning what it looks like to meet a baby's needs, to settle a baby, to be able to um, interact with a baby. And I think sometimes we don't give the other partner enough credit for their own or space for their own learning process and I look back on it now and I, I wish I had have been a little gentler. Um, and I do remember apologizing a lot. Like <laughs> when I was in a place where he, he was asleep and it was perhaps all comfortable or something. And I was feeling in that kind of love bubble, like, oh my God, is he not the most beautiful thing? And I would stop and go, I'm so sorry for what I said to you earlier today, <laughs> you know, like, but, but it's the hormones that often does that. And I. I don't, I'm not sure that we actually articulate that well enough. Um, yeah. But I'm also not sure how serious people will t- would take it prior to the occurrence of the change. Yes. Because you know how you can't know something before you know it? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, so it's one thing to read a brochure on it mm. and it's another thing to actually go through it. A part of that experience,
0: I feel, is learning – the true meaning of sacrifice. Mm. I don't think I really sacrificed until I had children and then it was almost an unconscious thing. Mm. That was part of our experience becoming parents as well is understanding that they come first before everything. Mm. And I think it's very easy, and I know that a lot of people do it, I know I do this too, that they come before your relationship. So I think that that was an interesting sort of realisation that I don't think I understood properly until they were about five where I looked back and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I actually, you know, I consider it a, a great boon if I'm allowed to go and do a yoga class. Whereas before, pre-parenting, that's just what you do. I mm-hmm. remember a friend saying to me who had kids, oh, my, t- my me time is going to yoga, and I was horrified. I was like... <laughs> That's just part of life. Like surely me time is having a long boozy lunch with your girlfriends. Like I was mortified. That, but that experience of sacrifice, that's part of the transition too, do you think?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I'm actually not sure how I feel about the word sacrifice because it implies for me that you're, it's almost like it's something that you're giving away of yourself Reluctantly. For mm. me, there's a reluctance in the word sac- sacrifice. And I do think that there's an experience as part of the transition where you can be very reluctant once you realize what's actually happened oft- often after the fact. But I think part of the transition is finding a way through so that it no longer feels like sacrifice but instead feels like a new rhythm. Yes. So I think it's about finding your rhythm so that it doesn't feel like you're giving up the parts of your life that are essential to you being you. And I think that process can take years, absolutely, and can start with this sense of I've sacrificed so much for this. Mm. It does become a rhythm of meeting needs, doesn't it? But also perhaps a rhythm of finding well, how many extracurricular activities are enough? You know, (laughs) like (laughs) one. Yes. (laughs) That's what I'd say too. And then what does that mean? Who's doing that run? Who's doing the training sessions? Who's doing all that kind of stuff? And then how are you actually getting your needs met in addition to the time when you're away from the house because you're working or in the house, as the case may be, we work from home. But it's still like, hold on a second, are we meeting – each life area's needs rather than just doing the very basis for surviving. Do you know what I mean? So mm. there's like you might have gone to yoga once upon a time and had then had your social needs needs met at a boozy lunch. And then you might have gone for a facial at the end of the week. And then you might have gone shopping and bought some new clothes. I love this life. (laughs) Whose life is this? (laughs) It it, it does sound like it was an amazing (laughs) life for us children. (laughs) You did all those things and it met those needs. And then there's no longer perhaps time for that or money for that um, or headspace for that. So I don't know whether this happened to you, but it certainly happened to us for a time where we were doing the bare minimum for ourselves. And I think this is what you're saying. If we're talking about the word sacrifice, how it happened in that natural transition for us was we just stopped doing those types of things for ourselves. And it's a bit more, it's not as as sacrificial now because he's older, he's four and a half now and he's going to school next year. But in that place, I could still argue that there are some life areas that could be given attention if we could make if we made different decisions around what was enough, yeah, that's a good one. If we make
0: different decisions around what was enough, I think that is one of the challenges of becoming a parent is understanding what is enough for everyone, including yourself, yeah, right. So we're talking about, Being a parent and reflecting on the parts of yourself that aren't, I guess, healed in a way or, um, evolved enough or you're not where you want to be as a parent because you're finding it's hard raising your child for certain reasons. But if we look at ourselves and say, okay, where are we at? Where am I at? Mm -hmm. Where, what is enough for me? Then we can go forward and look at and have healthy relationships with other people.
1: Mm. But you need to make that decision for yourself. Yeah. I feel like that might be a difficult decision for us all to make because of what we're exposed to. Like I sometimes think of Bennett was obsessed with the Wiggles when he was young and he was about two. And um, that was not a good time. It, laughs? Um, <laughs> I was going to say thank you, Bennett. Y- yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not a good time. Um, but you know, Emma Wiggle. Emma yes. Wiggle. Um, she sings. She does Irish dancing. She does ballet. She oh no, does, I see where this is going. Yeah, she she plays the drums. She <laughs> is proficient in Auslan, Australian Sign Language. She does uh, pretty much. Pick something, she does it. Yes. And I often think about her, especially now that Bennett has reached the age, he's just started Little Athletics. It's our first extracurricular activity. And I think... Am I doing him a disservice if he's he's not (laughs) in a lesson for something? Does he need to be having other lessons? Isn't this the the age where kids start doing the things, you know? And this is a musician, so I kind of feel like we've got that covered. Like she'll take over there when he's ready to play something. But I do even find within myself this urge to go and look at the literature. Like when are we (laughs) supposed to start? What does the research say about when we're supposed to start? And then I stop and go, he's a kid he's a little boy. And for us to be the best parents for him as we possibly can, I need my mental health to be intact. Like I, I need for for there to be downtime and not to be going to a million different birthdays and extracurricular stuff. Yeah. But it's not to say that I don't necessarily experience that struggle about what it's supposed to look like. And I think this is part of Correct me if I'm wrong. You're a little, you're a few years ahead of, on the parenting journey, but I feel like this is going to come up over and over again throughout the parenting journey. Part of the transition is you don't just become a parent and know what you're doing. No, <laughs> I only know what I'm doing for a four and a half year old. I don't know what I'm doing for a five year old or a six year old or a seven year old. It keeps changing.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that is absolutely true. Uh, my cousin, who is now sixty and has you know grown girls. She said to me when I had my daughter, I can't remember what I said to her. And she laughed and she looked at me and she said, Jeff, I don't know what I'm doing. I I still don't know what I'm doing because they change. Yeah. We change. Our children change. Yeah. And how do we come to a place of recognizing that and working with that so that we are our happiest, healthiest people. I'm not going to say our best selves, because that sounds like we're trying to get a medal. We're not. We're just, we want to be good parents and good people. Mm.
1: The key there is the stuff that we carry ourselves and how does that show up through the parenting journey? And how does that influence what we perceive to be a good parent? Because that is so key, isn't it? I just want to have done a good job for him. Oh, yes. That's it. I just want to have done, I don't need him to be any sort of occupation or any, I don't put any kind of expectations on what he should be, but I have expectations on what I want to be for him. And how do we determine where that line is? How do we determine what that looks like and what is good to you versus what is good to me? And how do we, how do we deal with our stuff along the way? You were saying earlier that
0: you and I are both control freaks, which is definitely true. I did have an Excel spreadsheet for my wedding day. (laughs) It's a call sheet. Gave it out to everyone. This is what you need to do. Don't talk to me. So, yes, that is part of my personality. And I also have a background in, in journalism, so I like to do my research. There is a lot out there about raising children, I'd say there's more about raising children than there is about what it is to become a parent. But given that I went into it reasonably ignorant, would it have helped for me to read more about that transition? I'm answering this in my head as I say (laughs) it. How much research do we do?
1: So important that you just said that because how do you know who those people are before you know? I know, know you so don't. You, <laughs> you don't. And if I, if I then say, look, do a bit of research, that might mean that you need to go and sort through twenty authors before you find someone <laughs> who resonates with you.
0: I felt I needed to do. I had done a university degree before, obviously becoming a parent. But I remember thinking, why isn't there a university course on becoming a parent? I would have done it. <laughs>
1: I would have. I would have written my essays. Someone write. There's probably an online course for that now. <laughs> yeah, um, plenty of them, I imagine. Uh, look, I think the answer is it depends. It depends on how how you're processing the beginnings of the transition, which is trying to get pregnant and then being pregnant. How are you coping during that time? Because sometimes, especially if you're a personality who tends to lean towards anxiety, doing more research can actually add to the anxiety. There there is a point where knowing too much is not necessarily helpful. Um, And then there's also the other lean at the end of the continuum where you might choose to know nothing about it because you're being avoidant and sticking your head in the sand and it just feels a little too scary and too overwhelming. What I would encourage people should do is sure read a book if you want to read a book but choose one or two people during your journey whose opinions count and I I specifically mean one or two I don't mean more than that um, and they might be people like your partner might be a professional someone who is more knowledgeable than you could be your best friend because they've had six kids before you have now For me, that was my obstetrician. Um, And then, second was (laughs) Nissa. And I I need to make that really clear because of the experience of um, migraines and sickness during the pregnancy. um, I was, I just needed to be okay. It was, my mental health was significantly deteriorating during that period because of how sick I was I was in survival mode just getting to the end of the pregnancy and so that's what worked for me and I really strongly advise you to choose the same for you choose one or two opinions that doesn't mean a group on reddit (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't mean – it doesn't even mean your mother's group because sometimes those microcosms of kind of social interaction can become problematic in and of themselves. So I would say be very boundaried about the choices that you make in terms of whose opinions count. Choose those one or two and stick to them. I think what I learned from, you know,
0: my confusion and not knowing where to go – I think what I learned over time was, had I stopped and just thought to myself, what kind of person am I? On a really basic, soulful level, what what resonates with me? I would have been so less confused going into parenting. I would have known what voices to listen to Mm. because it's so bleeding obvious to me and everybody who knows me, A, that I was going to sleep with my child. I was not going to do control crying. Um, I was going to sleep on demand. Like all these things where you do have a choice as a parent how you do it and everyone's choice is valid. I got so confused about how to parent because I looked at what other people doing even when you come to this point now when we're talking about extracurriculars Mm. and I'm like, I, I find myself listening to other parents thinking, oh, my God, your child did Chinese and piano lesson and ballet and it's not even lunch and my child hasn't had a bed yet or it's just watching YouTube. <laughs> and then I start freaking out thinking, my poor child, I've just ruined them. I have to pull myself back and go, hold on, you can only be yourself. Yeah. And you will be the best parent when you are yourself. And so had I known that, then I would have known, okay, I need help with settling. I'm not going to go to the person who will tell me to control cry. Yeah. Which I did do. And I ended up like drinking wine and crying while she was crying and then it all went south anyway and she still sleeps with me and I don't care. Yeah. And she is happy and healthy. So I think that was something I really learned the hard way and I'm still learning. Mm. You know, every time I get pulled by children doing different things and I'm not doing it. Homework's a big one. Yeah, But the other thing is, what I did learn, is you can take a grain of salt from people as well. It doesn't have to be the way you do everything. Yeah. But if you learn that you've kind of gone a bit off course, then you can correct yourself, but stay true to your North Star. Absolutely. Which is who you are.
1: <laughs> you know, this is so important too because it makes me think of, um You know, the best news is that your child gets you and who you are, and the worst news is that your child gets you (laughs) and who you are. are. (laughs) So there is, I often think about this. There are ways that I will inevitably disappoint my son and not be what he needs at that time because I'm me. But if I don't, if I can't get okay with that, yes, then the entire journey is going to be problematic. I'm going to make it much harder for myself than if I just come from a place of radical acceptance to begin with, and acknowledge that I am just who I am, doing the best I can with what I have, and then reconcile that how that turns out is enough.
0: And you will enjoy parenting so much more yeah. if you can do that. Yeah. So. If you had to give listeners a takeaway from this chat, a skill that would help them, you know, come to terms with this new
1: role of parenting,
0: yeah. what would it be?
1: One of the techniques I love for this is it's an interpersonal psychotherapy technique. Interpersonal psychotherapy is a form of therapy, like cognitive behaviour therapy is another form of therapy. And in IPT, we do a technique called role transition processing. And what that means is to look in a balanced way at the pros and cons of life before the transition, and then look at the pros and cons of life after the transition, and find meaning in this new role and how it fits for you. And the reason I love this technique so much is because there are pros and cons with everything. There are a lot of cons with parenting. (laughs) Um, Like it's no longer boozy lunches and day sparse and shopping
0: trips (laughs) we we should clarify we didn't do this every day we also had jobs before we became parents correct
1: still have a job um still work very hard but one of the things is when you're looking at the change in the role um because humans are humans it can be really uh inviting to devalue everything that's hard about the current role and glorify everything that happened before now So that you can, in a kind of absolute way, go, well, the boozy lunches were the best and now I don't get to do them. (laughs) There is now, you know, perhaps the smell of a baby's scalp when they're first born, that delicious, those delicious kind of chest snuggles. Um, And then there's also the fact that every age becomes your new favourite age because of what they're doing. When you look at the old role versus the new role, in a balanced way, it helps you to find meaning in your place in this new role.
0: Wonderful, Beck. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That was our first episode in our series, Parenting a Parent with Dr. Rebecca Ray. In our next episode, we get into the neuroscience of parenting, exploring what actually happens in and to our brains when we become a parent. It's fascinating stuff, and I can't wait to jump into that one with you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the Listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.